You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. It's Friday the 11th of March, the final Friday before the Cheltenham Festival of 2022. I'm not in um, what I'm sure is warm, sunny and lovely TW11 today. No, I am in BA5 uh, in the city of Wells on my way down to Exeter where I'll be on racing TV duties. I can um, report to you it's absolutely foul here. It's blowing a gale. It's, It's very damp. I don't know how much of this is hitting Cheltenham. I bet where Lydia Hislop is, it's it's lovely. You'll be on the roof terrace this morning, Lydia? Uh, I, I wouldn't quite go that far, but it's certainly dry. It's overcast. It's a spring morning. I can feel spring in the air. I, I felt like that when I was at Newmarket last week. I, I could I could sniff spring. I've got some daffodils on my desk. Picture that, uh, Nick. Uh, well, glorious it is in N. Where are you? 19. N19. That's as much of, of Lydia's address as you're getting, okay, for security <laughs> reasons. Great in N19, not so much in BA5. Right, what's happening today? Is it a foregone conclusion that Jack Kennedy is going to ride Manila Indo in the Gold Cup? Now, he appears to be available, given that Gordon Elliott's not going to have two runners uh, in the race because Conflated's going for the Ryanair and apparently is going to be ridden by Davy Russell. Yes, um, it, they've complicated it, haven't they, by um, bringing in Robbie Power. Uh, they were talking about wanting continuity between the Irish Gold Cup and the Gold Cup. At that point, they were they're thinking that um, Jack Kennedy wouldn't be available. And when Conflated went and won the Irish Gold Cup, that seemed to be potentially quite a shrewd move. Now it looks like a... Uh, complication uh, because afterwards uh, Henry de Bromhead was saying how well Robbie and Minella Indo had got on with each other and certainly it was a far more encouraging run for Minella Indo uh, than the uh, what happened at Kempton where everything that you could imagine would uh, could possibly go wrong did um, but now they've got uh, arguably the most talented young rider in the weighing room available uh, who won the Gold Cup on Manila Indo last year, uh, and they've got a, they've got a decision to make, and it's it's a it's an awkward one, um, but generally uh, in the, those situations, uh, the uh, requirements of the horse, sort of the cold hard decision making, takes over. Yeah, I spoke to Henry de Bromhead this morning, Friday morning. I spoke to him at about eight thirty, and I said, "Is it a foregone conclusion that Jack Kennedy rides Manila Indo in the Gold Cup?" And he said, "Well, we only realised that he was available yesterday." We haven't really had a chance to sit and discuss it. And I said, but yeah, but surely if he's available, he won the race last year, he rides Austin, he went, we haven't made a decision yet. You know, nothing is a, a foregone conclusion. You know, mm. the, the options are in front of us. We need to talk about it. So mm. it is clearly it is clearly a discussion point rather than, a, oh, well, he won the race on him last year, on he goes. Yes, and yeah, and I think it, it should be a, a discussion point for the for the for the reasons um, set out. It's interesting. It's a race in need of some pace. At the moment, we seem to be relying on Santini to do that, don't we? And uh, that isn't going to be a well-run race. And I would suggest that Manila Endo wants it to be a well-run race. So. Um, I, I don't know. I think uh, uh, you know Jack Jack Kennedy seemed to get such a 
a good tune out of Manila Indo uh, this time last year when the season hadn't gone so well the Gold Cup went absolutely perfectly again as I said balanced against that is that you've got this uh, revival in, in, in the Irish Gold Cup in circumstances that probably were not beneficial to Manila Indo i.e. there wasn't much of a pace and conflated um, under a great ride from David Russell kicked and stole it essentially um, you know you've got to balance those two things up what, what, what would you do? What would you do? Um, I'd, I'd have Jack Kennedy because I'm a shame, a shameless fanboy. I'm afraid, and he's won, he's won the race before. And I'm a, I love Robbie Power. He's, he's a, 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 an excellent rider, and he's a, he's a great guy as well. But I think you know he, he's won the Gold Cup for you. He got such a good tune out of him last year, and I just think he's one of the, one of the, well, I think he's the most talented rider of his generation. Um, end of story. He's, he's still only like twenty two or three or something isn't he he's in yeah uh you're certainly not gonna get any argument for me about the amount of talent that jack kennedy has got well you've got I, th- I thought of this last night there's this potentially slightly weird situation where he's sitting in the weighing room for the gold cup and in the ryanair if russell's riding conflated and galvin so he's not on neither of the elliot horses and he's he's not he's not gonna ride in either i mean that would just be balmy i think yes but you know it, it it does happen, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Rachel Blackmore was sitting in uh, the weighing room while uh, the Irish Gold Cup was going on. You know, we know that, you know, because um, ties happen and patterns get established, associations get established, sometimes you get weird things like that. But yes, it would be uh, bizarre to have uh, Jack Kennedy in the weighing room when he could be playing an active role in some of our best races. Of course, Lydia, if there were five days to the church, to the Cheltenham oh. Festival. I see could, what you did there. He could, have, <laughs> he could have yet more opportunities. Now, this has been sort of bubbling away on the podcast all this week as it has uh, across the papers. And it's actually the Racing Post kind of lead with it, the big picture headline today because the you know, ticket sales are so good and all the hotels are booked out. People just want more, 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 more. Um, I had a little go at this with Jane yesterday. Do you want to just put the, the final button on this because I really don't want to talk about this all of next week. I want to talk Well, about I want to know why is it bubbling away? Why, why are yeah. we all talking about it? What's so, going on here? Right, I see what you're saying. So this is the question I was, was going to put you. Is this a concerted effort on the part of those close to jockey club management, senior management, or those at Cheltenham Racecourse to sort of have an extended focus group on whether this will fly and you're sort of wheeling out all the sort of supporters Nikki Henderson came out Kim Bailey one or two quite prominent owners it, a lot of whom live in the sort of local area saying good for commerce good for the economy more opportunities for British horses etc 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 yes nap it feels like something concerted has happened behind the scenes and you know all of a sudden we're getting the argument for it and it is being put forward and discussed as a thing. Um, the, the, then we have the ticket sales on top of that. And I mean, nobody is arguing that commercially it doesn't make sense in the short term. What, what, what the sport has got to work out, what Cheltenham's got to work out, Jock Club Racecourse has got to work out, is whether this, uh, this spread into commerciality is putting at risk the authenticity of the the race meeting do they want the Cheltenham Festival to become just another buzzy race meeting which is essentially pivoted towards uh people who are not 
day in, day out followers of the sport who uh, like to go to a big sporting event and are bringing in the money that way. And I get that, you know, that you, you can see why that commercially works. But there is a there is a, a tipping point, I think, where the authenticity of, a, 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 of an event starts to be undermined. And if the day in, day out fan of the sport feels that uh, what used to be the Olympics of horse racing is now actually just another festival, then I think they're in danger of losing the essence of Cheltenham. And they might work out that, you know, the increased commerciality, the increased revenue is worth that. Uh, I look at the state of the National Hunt programme and say uh, it needs some hard pruning right now. It needs some very difficult decisions to be made. I don't see any appetite from uh, racecourses uh, across the country to do that. And I think we're, we're just looking in the wrong direction. Uh, we're, we're talking about ex- expansion and frills and, and bells and whistles. And we should actually be looking at something far more fundamental that is coming towards us fast. Uh, so this is quite interesting because I've been debating this in the context of the race program, which is what most people have. And I said, well, is there a possibility of a, tra- a bit of a trade-off, really? So uh, I give you your five days because you want to make as much money as possible from as many people as possible over that period of time. And you give me the opportunity to reshape that race program and, and cut out the possibility of what we might get next Thursday, which is a match race or a three-runner Turner's Novices Chase, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are fewer opportunities for horses of very high caliber because there aren't enough horses to warrant that. And then you become a bit more imaginative with the race program that you stack around that so that the jewels that you have are um, burnished a little bit uh, at the expense of the of the supporting races. But you're making a point, I think, that really by just extending it another day, you're, it's not so much the dilution of the of the race program necessarily, it's more just the sort of dilution of the event Mm. i think i think what you're arguing there is an interesting idea in that if we if if this if we accept that the move to five days is inevitable and i don't think it should be um i think i think think that 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 should not be an inevitable uh, way forward just because we know it's going to make money we we need to think about the what's uh, good for the sport i mean the um jockey club itself says in our vision our vision is for british horse racing to be the best in the world for many years to come you know define best and for the sport to be accessible for millions of people in the uk to enjoy well they're certainly fulfilling the second half of the sentence um our mission is to act for the long-term good of british racing in everything that we do and I think every move that is made needs to be thought about in those terms and whether Jocular Brace courses are, are delivering on those terms. I mean, I was uh, fiercely critical of their idea of closing and selling Kempton and shifting the King George to Sandman because I didn't think that was, in the, that was uh, acting in the long-term good of British racing. And I didn't think it helped British horse racing to be the best in the world for many years to come. Um, you know, Haydock has pivoted towards the flat uh, uh, t- pulled out the, the legendary big black fences has become a very different track as a result of that. Was that in uh, the long-term good of British racing? Well, yes, well, yes, yes, ironic- yes, ironically, every decent race you can remember in the last 12, 10, 12 years since they've done that has been a jumps race. Yeah, it is, it is true. That, 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 is, that is true. Um, it's been helped by a, a changing in the programme, I suppose. But I mean, there are, there were some iconic races before that as well. And they were just races of very different character, weren't they? Um, I, I felt that 
jockey races were pivoting towards flat racing and then there's been a in recent years a bit of a pivoting back again maybe 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 that 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 is what's happened um but anyway you're back to your point so what you would be doing would be saying okay so we've got the Ryanair we've got the Turners and the Albert Bartlett and the reconstituted uh what formerly Four Mile of the National Hunt Chase and these have had an active impact on the depth and comp- competition of the pre-existing races the champion chase uh the gold cup the uh, arkle um w- the brown advisory and so you're saying uh if you if this needs if cheltenham is going to re- remain being racing's olympics that it's going to if it's going to be able to credibly claim that this is where the clashes happen then I, it needs to prune back and so if you want if you Cheltenham want to go forward with the five-day card. Okay, have some more handicaps, but actually reduce the number of graded races and and turn them back into more meaningful clashes, reduce the number of options. Exactly. So actually, you would be concentrating more on on the gems and a little less on the rest so there would be a clear contrast between your your big feature races the gold cup the champion hurdle the champion chase the stayers hurdle and the rest uh, and and it's a point that you know ruby walsh made last week and i've made for for, for a long time that there's there become this sort of strange false equivalence between you know who's going to win race x and who's going to win race y you know the x being the mayor's novice hurdle and y being the gold cup the most listened to edition of this podcast in the last three weeks was the news that allegory de Vassi wasn't running in the in the mayor's novice <laughs> novice's hurdle i mean it's like okay it was a nice little story but it's not that important in the grand scheme of things <laughs> yeah I, I i i can see that i mean i you know I, that is false equivalence and you know we, we do need to be able to flag to people outside which races are the most important and why they are the most important um and i think that is again difficult to do when you've got when you've got small fields i just i just don't think that 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 you know captures the imagination and when we're talking about during the course of the rest of the season what our shop window races are if they are you know two runner three runner four runner affairs i think it's much harder to say you know th- this is what the best of british racing is about yeah. uh because it plainly isn't I sort of wanted to get sort of some merchandise made up sort of with the meme, never mind that, who's going to win the Kim Muir. <laughs> and on that theme, and as you pointed out to me, haven't they made a Horlicks of which race they dropped as well? That novice handicap that's thrown up Aplutar and the nice horse of Kim Bailey's Imperial Aura and any other nice amount of nice horses has gone uh, to be to be replaced by the Mayor's Chase. And it, it's found itself on a card at Sandown tomorrow where it's got a pathetic field of six on a day when the Imperial Cup's got a massive field and there's no bonus going to Cheltenham. And it only had nine last year. I've, I've give up. I'm lost. I, don't, I, I no longer understand. It just hasn't worked at all, has it? I mean, I know that David Cleary would like to see the Kim Muir at Sandown. <gasps> um, uh, and uh, having the, uh, the novice, the novice uh, handicap uh, back at Cheltenham, maybe. I mean, you know... I, that, it's whatever what Cheltenham decides cannot happen in isolation. Uh, it's got to be uh, it's got to be decided by uh, those responsible for the National Hunt, the Jumps program as a whole, and it's got to be done in a strategic, coherent way. And I know that the words strategic and coherent are, are quite alien to horse racing, but I think that is that is something that that must be done. And people, uh, again, I feel like a broken record here, and people need to be aware, the organisations need to be aware that sometimes they might have to make some small sacrifices for the greater good uh, because there is a problem here. Um, 
and it needs addressing. I, I mean, I'm concerned about the two mile hurdling division, aren't you? Yes, it's it's. I mean, I think the champion hurdle this year is a better race than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I've heard you made that argument, and I think that's fair. But if, <laughs> you, if don't you, take hate, back... you don't have to agree with it. I but <laughs> but I do think yeah that. The sort of racy, sharp two-mile hurdler seems to be a, a bit of a thing of the past. Or, or is it more just that the way that they're bringing horses through, so they're getting this whole season in Irish points and a whole season in bumpers, and they're maybe a year off, and then a whole season in, obviously, in, in novice hurdles. Then it's like, oh, it's, it's go chasing now. That's the kind of obvious. I kind of love the fact that they've been made to go for the champion hurdle accidentally on purpose with appreciate it. Yes, yes. I yeah. wonder whether that might presage. You see, so for me, Bob Ollinger ought to be running in the champion hurdle. Well, I agree. I agree. You know, I, I, yeah, a slightly a la Morley Street, etc. Those sort of horses. Yeah, I, 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 I very much agree with that. Um, never mind all, the, never mind all the ones off the flat who don't come hurdling anymore. But that's possible. But I mean, I think it's a, a two prong thing, isn't it? It's a two prong thing. It's the thing that you've just identified in terms of the sourcing from, um, from, from point to points, and you know what, what their route then is. But it's also to do with uh, horses being uh, sold, likely horses being sold to race in the likes of Australia, uh, the all weather program, and fewer of these horses being bred in the first place that that is having an impact as well. And I, I think, you know, if we think, go back to, you know, the golden era of, of hurdling, you know, when the likes of Night Nurse and Monk's Hill, et cetera, et cetera, were hurdling. Now, how deep and resonant that period was, uh, I'm, I'm pretty concerned at the moment that that, that that division on both sides of the Irish Sea. Now, of course, Ireland have got the brilliant honeysuckle, but, and, you know, what next? You know, okay, they've got Charger, but th- th- there isn't the kind of, the kind of depth and uh, sustainability uh, that that you you saw coming out season after season when horses coming from the Supreme or the Ballymore um, came into the two mile hurdling division and you know like, it is great that um, appreciators end up here by accident and could end up staying here if all goes well on Tuesday. Um, I wanted to pick your brains on the changing uh, of the guard at the BHA. Um, Lee and I sort of did quite a bit of the, the heavy lifting on this the other day, just in terms of the detail of Anna Marie Phelps uh, leaving at the end of her first term, not seeking a second term, and the sort of coronation without an obvious kind of process of a Joe Somer Smith, the independent director, to take up the, the chair role for what's sort of basically a sort of half term, like an 18 month period. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. It makes me feel uncomfortable that. I mean, there's nothing against the individuals involved, but that that that, that process needed needed more transparency. Um, and I'm sure uh, the BH board are happy with themselves the, the the process that they followed. But for the the good of the industry and for people looking in at the sport, uh, I think that 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 needed needed greater transparency. Uh, personally, um, I feel that um, there's been an impasse, hasn't there? Uh, We've had a, a, a new uh, chief executive of the British Horse Racing Authority. And then as Lee was outlining soon after that that happened, we had uh, the stakeholders coming forward, the racecourses and the horsemen saying, actually, we're not sure what the BHA should be doing here. And, and we feel that um, we need to have a review into uh, what, 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 what its areas of authority and reach are. I mean, and that immediately just stymies everything, doesn't it? You know, you, you're, you're then completely taken out of action. It's very difficult for you to make a move in any direction because one of the stakeholders might say, oh, hang on a minute, it's totally illegitimate for the BHA to have a viewer to express an opinion in this area. So, so 
I wonder whether um, this might be a break to the to that impasse. And certainly, what um, you and Lee discussed about what Anna Marie Phelps said when she stepped down as BHA chair seemed to hint in that direction to me. Uh, Lydia, for the moment, thanks. More from Lydia at the end of the show. Now, for a limited time. And for a really limited time only, you can subscribe to the Racing Post Members Club and pay just $9.99 for your first month. Now, I use this pretty much every day. That's just $9.99 to unlock the whole Racing Post digital newspaper worth over £100 a month. So award-winning online content, unlimited replays from all the UK and Irish race courses, advice from tipsters like Tom Siegel and uh, Paul Keeley and many more. And for the full terms, to take advantage of this introductory offer, which is for you, Nick Luck Daily listeners, you can head to racingpost.com forward slash Nick Luck Daily. And our pre-Cheltenham largesse on this podcast knows no bounds, because in association with the tote, we're giving you a chance to get a free entry in their Cheltenham Invitational Betting Tournament. There's a limited amount of places, but the tote are underwriting your entry, and there are £55,000 in prizes, including a £10,000 overall Cheltenham Champion Prize. So this is a, a, a competition that is modelled on the traditional American handicapping competition, so it pitting your betting wits against your rivals. But you don't just win the money. If you're the most successful punter during the course of the week with the tote, you win big cash prizes on top of that. And you can enter uh, by going to totes.co.uk forward slash promotions forward slash tote 1000. And that is an offer exclusive to Nick Luck Daily podcast listeners this week and next. Well, you might remember a couple of weeks ago we uh, spoke about the, the changes at Manor House Stables where uh, Michael Owen is the landlord and that uh, Hugo Palmer would be moving in and Tom Daskin would be moving on. Well, Tom is about to begin a, an exciting new chapter of his training career and, and joins me now. Tom, what are you up to and where are you off to? Morning, Nick. Um, yeah, look, uh, very exciting for me. Uh, I'm moving home back to Lambourne and um, uh, moving into Upland Stables. Upland Stables being one of the most well-known, historic, successful yards in Lambourne and best known as a, as a, a stable where some of the best jumpers have been trained. But you, you know Lambourne really well and you've trained sort of group winners on the flat there before you went to Manor House. What do you like about the place? What do you love about it as a training place? Well, I feel that, um, you know, right now, as you say, I mean, you know, you've got Fred Winter and Charlie Brooks and, you know, so many people and a flat trainer, Stan Moore, he did really well out of Uplands, Warren Greatrix more recently, Lavinia Taylor in between, you know, it's steeped in history. The location is perfect, um, especially for young horses, surprisingly, because you don't need to go anywhere near a road. And I feel that when I moved here 12 years ago, it took me a season to understand how to train here. Um, Going back to Lambourne, it won't take me five minutes because I already know what I'm doing there. Because you understand the variety of the gallops there and you, you sort of understand yeah, how the different gallops, and there's a lot of them, yeah, jockey club facilities are fantastic, how all those different gallops can suit all those different types of horses, yeah? Yeah, and I'm sure it's changed an awful lot in the last 12 years. But, um, you know, I have a routine in my head that I know suits horses. And whilst I've been looking for yards over the last two or three months, and believe me, I've done a lot of travelling around, it seems sensible for me to go back to what I know works. 
and it will make the transition for me yeah, and my staff and the horses so much easier. I mean, you've trained 1,000-odd winners, 700 of them have been at, uh, at Manor House. I mean, do you feel in a sense that sort of now is the right time anyway to sort of kick on with another phase of your career if you really want to push to, to, to the next level? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm hugely grateful to Michael Owen and Andrew Black um, for for giving me the opportunity here. Um, but I think, you know, Mr. Candy, Henry Candy said to me when I came, these things never work. And um, 12 years later, I rang him up and said, you're right. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we made a, a real good bash of it. We've had great times and it is i think it's time in my life to give myself another you know excitement yeah because I, I suppose i mean that's the thing if you if you have a big move and you you attract some new owners and you start turning up to to race meetings that, that you really want to does that sort of give you fresh impetus a sort of a fresh zest for the game if you like Absolutely. I think, you know, everybody um, in every walk of life can get to the stage where they're just a bit stale with things. And um, I think that, uh, you know, the timing isn't perfect going straight into the season. But, um, you know, there'll be a few horses that come with me. Um, I'm sure some of my, you know, owners that have departed over the last 12 years simply for location and things like that they'll come back and i'm really looking forward to the challenge of getting going again and and tom is there a is there a particular type of horse you enjoy training do you think you have a particular strength that's a that's a selling point for you um (laughs) not necessarily i think you get pigeonholed into things i mean when i started out training um you know i was a two-year-old trainer um you know sprint two-year-olds and then um i trained a classic winner over a mile and six uh people started to stop sort of saying you're good with this type of horse um surprisingly i know this isn't um hugely exciting maybe but you know i do enjoy getting horses from other people as well and seeing what we can do with them and i mean misty gray is a classic example of that you know um uh, who runs tomorrow and i'm delighted that you know, we've proven over a long period of time that um, you can really train any any horse anywhere. Uh, uh, Misty Gray will be your final runner from Manor House. It did strike me. I was thinking about this yesterday that if you could sort of if you could sort of take away a couple of achievements with you from from this spell, I, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I, you trained a homebred for Michael Owen to win a classic and a race at Royal Ascot, and you trained another homebred to win a two-year-old race at Royal Ascot for Andrew Black. So to train your two patrons, homebreds, at, uh, at Royal Ascot is, is quite an unusual achievement. Yeah, I'm going to correct you there because I actually trained that in black two Royal Ascot women's still at home, Brett. Um, but, uh, no, uh, I mean, all joking apart, I think um, I think that's a, a key point to all this because, I mean, Rhythm of Light, who was um, my first Royal Ascot winner, I mean, she was a she was a homebred too, and it, it's it's tricky because you can go to the sales and buy yearlings, but 
getting homebreds. I mean, four of my Royal Ascot winners have been homebreds. And, you know, that is going to be a key part of my next move is trying to get people to send me horses that they can't sell, but they do believe in. Um, I really, I, I mean, if you think Rhythm of Light, we took a to Ascot sales. I think I bought her back for 500 quid, Brown Panther, you know, bought him back for uh, 1,500 or something. And, you know, these are not your typical finest specimens, but the owners believed in them and we gave them a chance and they came up with the goods. It's Friday, which means it's time to go around the world with James Willoughby and the Global Thoroughbred Rankings and our friends at Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Quick spin through the top 10. Hot Rod Charlie steady at 10 in Dubai, limbering up for a tilt at the World Cup. Nine is very elegant. She'll run in the Ranvet on the 19th of March, according to her trainer, Chris Waller, that she might have one more start in Australia then for an international campaign, hopefully, including a couple of spins in Europe. Uh, eight steady is Contrail. He's now retired to stud. Seven down three. We'll talk about this in a minute. Nature Strip. He suffered his second consecutive defeat last weekend. Six up one without doing anything is Baye. Big hope for William Haggis this season. Five, he's retired to stud at Palace Pier. Likewise, Nick's go at four. Gran Allegri is at three. Um, big Japanese hope for 2022 is Euphoria, who Connections will be hoping uh, to leapfrog number one. Life is good with before too long, and life is good is holding on to number one, and he does, uh, confirms uh, Todd Fletcher, head to Dubai to take on Hot Rod Charlie in the World Cup. A little bit of Dubai to come in the show, but I think Australia is a good place to start, James, because that's been the most dynamic, active um, part of the world in terms of these rankings, certainly through the age groups over the last week. Talk about a couple of our old favourites, both beaten, Zaki and Nature Strip. Zaki beaten ahead at Flemington, Nature Strip third of four on heavy ground at Randwick. Yeah, the, the Australians make a very circumspect about running whole, uh, meetings in general on, on very soft ground. And I think the, the general feeling is one of pragmatism, which is that uh, the integrity of the results is, is not so reliable. Over here, we tend to have the attitude that, you know, whatever the surface, so be it. And we'll run major races in a bog. Of course, in America, when races are taken off the dirt, uh, sorry, off the turf, sorry, or they're on a very, very wet surface on uh, dirt, it can affect their status. And I, I generally agree with that. Of course, the Australians have got more flexibility to change the calendar around than we have it with the European pattern. Um, but I, I think recent results in Australia should be taken with a bit of a pinch of salt on account of the fact that the ground conditions have been unseasonably, well, not unseasonably, sorry, unusually soft there. And the thoroughbreds in Australia run on very fast surfaces and become, and the tempo of races changes dramatically. And so I wouldn't take the defeat of some very high profile horses uh, too much to heart. Of course, we are seeing Southern Hemisphere Australian three-year-olds, classic generation, starting to bloom. And quite a few of them are, are, are knocking up the rankings a, a little bit as well. Yeah, Converge this week. Uh, Son of Frankel is up to world number 53. He beat Animo, who we've also got a, a, a big figure on in the Randwick Guineas there. Even higher is Hitotsu, who's a son of the uh, Maurice. Remember Maurice, the, the Japanese runner? Uh, he won the... Vic He's now won the Victoria Derby and the Australian Guineas. Um, and so a pair of Group 1s uh, have boosted his ranking up to 35. And for comparison, Nick, Native Trail, the top two-year-old here last year, is number 42. But of course, he hasn't had the advantage of running recently to boost his ranking. And so his numbers are based on 
um, old figures. But it's interesting to compare the TRC com computer race ratings, which is this massive network of ratings that are very much optimized according to past results and all, and, and basically are unbiased. Um, Native Trail has a pair of 119s, but these Australian horses now, they're getting better year on year on year, and Converge broke through the 120 barrier when he won. So he's a very serious piece of kit, and the, you know, the, the strength and depth there as well in Australia. So it'll be very interesting to see how the, the classic generations in each country, and we haven't even touched on America yet, really develop. I've touched on America very shortly. Uh, just quick, quick diversion. TRC Computer, we're going to talk about this a lot, I reckon, in the next few months, doesn't yeah. believe native trails quite as good as the handicappers believe he is, does it? No, he doesn't. Not at all, no. Um, 119 is historically not that big a figure. It's a pretty average figure. and thinks that basically it was beating up on a pretty weak crop, or indeed a crop who haven't perhaps showed their true hand is a better way to put it. You know, so there's plenty of unexposed horses that won some of the better races. Probably some very decent horses to come from Godolphin and um, other stable mates to Native Trail and, of course, across the Irish Sea, uh, Bally Doyle. So I, I think a lot could change. And at the moment, uh, the computer, and indeed me, uh, nothing to do with, uh, independent of that, I am slightly suspicious of what we saw last year and whether it's completely real. Uh, we are much further forward. We're much more well-developed in terms of getting some sort of picture on the American classics because we've had so many of the trials. We had two trials run um, last weekend, two important ones, the San Felipe at Santa Anita, which saw a, just an unbelievable performance from the Richard Mandela-trained Forbidden Kingdom. He is now favourite in the future pool wagering for the Kentucky Derby and not much bigger than about 5-1 to one either. And we saw a, a really solid performance in a dramatic fountain of youth from Simplification, uh, trained by Antonio Sano, who you'll remember for his exploits with the $5.5 million earning Gunavera, James. So where do they sit relative mm. to one another? Now, here's the interesting thing. So leave, let's leave Forbidden Kingdom to one side for the moment. But the, the other five of the six horses at the top of the Kentucky Derby point scoring charts, uh, how, by which you qualify for the race, are the following. And, and just listen to their rankings. Uh, Epicenter, one, three, four. On Ojo, 2.62. Simplification, 1.98. Morello, 2.07. Smile Happy, 3.86. Compare those numbers with what we've been talking about in Australia and indeed Britain. Uh, there's a lot to unfold in America so far. Now, Forbidden Kingdom, who, like you, I was hugely impressed with, and it's great to see Richard Mandela with a good horse out there in California. Um, the field he beat for the San Felipe Stakes, headed home by Doppelganger and Happy Jack, not all that good. Racing Post Ratings, for example, which is uh, another rating system, rated Forbidden Kingdom 117, uh, which is a pretty conservative number. And um, indeed, TRC Global Rankings are, are, are pretty much a 60, making him the, by far the best of the American three-year-olds at the moment. Now, we're coming off a year where we had a classic crop last year that the, the rankings absolutely loved, and they were all a lot higher uh, at this time um, last year. So we'll see how things turn out stateside. I agree with you completely. Forbidden Kingdom looks the real deal. Um, could it be that it can take advantage of maybe a less-than-vintage crop? Uh, entirely possible, I think. Um, Big performance from Simplification the other day in the Fountain of Youth as well, but right the way down 
198. We ought to talk, James, about what has ha- been happening in Dubai and the uh, legitimacy, really, of the, the results in Dubai. An amazing performance from Man of Promise that got the, uh, the Twitterati twittering. Uh, but was it as good as it looked? No. Again, no. And I am obviously one of the biggest advocates for racing in Dubai that there is, uh, right since the start of uh, Niall Sheba first and then Maidan. So anybody that accuses me of bias in this particular area must be mad because I'm normally accused of bias in the other direction. But the, these races, just, just, they just don't measure up at the moment. I, I don't know whether it's just a temporary thing or whether there's some sort of long-term trend caused by the rise of these other races in the Middle East racing systems particularly the Saudi Cup. I've no idea right, whether that's the case, but look at some of the figures here that these horses produced. Man of Promise beat not all that much, I don't think. Uh, he, he ran to 117. Al Farik, who won the Jebel Hatta, Group 1, 117. Hypothetical, who won the Group 1 Al Maktoum Challenge, 116. You know, these are figures you would normally associate with, with races of a grade below 1. And there just wasn't the strength in depth there at all. Now, it was only trials day in effect. And so the World Cup itself could turn out to be a completely different uh, kettle of fish. And, and I hope it does, obviously. Uh, but at the moment, there's not the strength in depth you look for at all. And perhaps some of these performances are slightly illusory. Man of Promise, of course, was the, the winner of the turf sprint. Al Farik, the Jebel Hatter. Um, and we're building towards the Dubai World Cup when we'll get that clash between world number 10, Hot Rod Charlie, and world number one, life is good. Um, yeah. I, can you see Hot Rod Charlie laying down any seriously stern challenge to life is good or not? Oh, oh, absolutely, yes, I can, yeah. I think he's developing well from three to four. He's a remnant of a, a very strong group of horses, as I mentioned earlier, uh, last year's three-year-olds. Although they were eclipsed in the classic itself, that was only just one race. And they still did finish second, third and fourth as well. Um, so, yeah, I definitely can. And Horror Charlie was a horse who looked green on many occasions last year, didn't he? There was plenty of times when he hit the front and looked like he was going to draw off and win by miles. And then he ran around a bit. And maybe that sort of suppressed some of these winning margins. He seems to be going the right way as well, I think, in terms of his, his, his physical appearance. And so, yeah, I certainly could see him throwing down a mark to life. As I mentioned on the show before, Nick, life is good looks the real deal his times are great there's not quite the strength and depth in his form it's not worked out quite as well as you'd you'd really hope if you you go through it with a you know really under the microscope um and so we'll see he's still got plenty to prove let's not forget he's only won five graded stakes and you know some of the top horses have won twice as many as that so he We'll learn more about him. You know, it's not just a coronation by any means, this. And, and, and I, I could definitely see Hot Rod Charlie giving him a race. Thanks to James and to Tom earlier in the show. Lydia's still with me and has a tip for today. Uh, not today. Nick, tomorrow, actually. Oh, uh, Sandown. Yes. Sandown, yes, in the uh, Novices Handicap Chase. Ah, the six-runner affair. Uh, yeah, indeed. See, not heard. I really like like the way that he's uh, taken to fences. I think he's got plenty more left to him. He jumps really well, really accurately and well, intelligently. Uh, he's got, uh, he'll be have the right run style. He's had a bit of a break. Uh, he's 
conceding weight all around, but there's not a great, great spread at all. And I like him. So that's seen, not heard in the 3.35 at Sandan tomorrow. There you are. I told you it was a cracking race. Uh, enjoy that at <laughs> Sandan tomorrow. And we will be back with you uh, on, uh, on Monday morning, of course, on the eve of Cheltenham. And a quick plug, Lydia, for the Road to Cheltenham live on yes. Monday. 10 a.m. Could remind me what time I need to be there. Well, 10 a.m. It's, it's, it's a two hours, two, two hours at 10 a.m. You and me and Ruby Walsh, and you'll be grabbing uh, people who are there exercising their horses and get, get, a, get a chat with uh, some of the uh, Irish uh, participants, trainers, trainers and jockeys, I would hope. Um, and we will be analysing all of the best races. Willie Mullins, Emmett Mullins, Patrick Mullins, all the other Mullins. <laughs> Um, that's to that's to enjoy on Monday. That's it for now. Charlotte will be here this evening with a roundup of what's happened this week. That was Friday, March the eleventh. Um, we will see you next time. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.